When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's not about the corner office. It's not about the fancy title. It's not even about the extra money. Responsible leadership is about taking care of those who choose to follow you, and that care takes on many forms. This podcast is dedicated to bringing you the best guests with the best advice to help you succeed in that endeavor. The Responsible Leadership Podcast is a production of The Leadership Phalanx. To find out more about me and what I do, visit leadershipphalanx.com. That's leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X.com. And now, on to today's show. All right, folks. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Responsible Leadership Podcast. I've got an outstanding guest for you, as always, Christina Wallace. Christina, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh, yeah. I can't wait to get into this discussion. This is going to be a really interesting topic that we're going to get into here. But listeners, before we get into that, what I want you to know about Christina is she's a self-described human Venn diagram. She has crafted a career at the intersection of business, technology, and the arts. She is currently a, a senior lecturer at Harvard Business School, where she teaches entrepreneurship and marketing. And in that diagram lies a skill of author. And we're going to talk today a bit about her book, The Portfolio Life, How to Future-Proof Your Career, Avoid Burnout, and Build a Life Bigger Than Your Business Card. But before we get into that conversation, I really am curious to hear your answer to that first question where I start off all of my guests. When you hear the words responsible leadership, what do they mean to you? To me, responsible leadership, it means it means the courage and the clarity to use your position and your power for good, for recognizing as a leader that people are looking to you. They're taking cues from you. They're putting a lot of faith in you. And that comes with responsibilities. And so using that position ethically and courageously, that's what it means to me. Mm, I like that. I mean, because that's that's a nice, short, sweet summation of it. And, and I really like that uh uh, I really like that definition because it, it kind of hits on all cylinders there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, no, I like that because I get a lot of good answers on here and, and a lot of them take a lot longer to <laughs> get to that point. 
but I, I love it because I'm I'm a simple uh, I'm a simplification person, right? Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm sitting here just kind of savoring that because I'm a very simplify person, and I like how you kind of really just simplify that answer. So I really appreciate I really appreciate that. Sure. Um, and 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 I also really appreciate you th- this idea of being a human Venn diagram. So. <laughs> Um, I, I don't hear too many people describe themselves that way very often. So let's talk mm-hmm. about that for a second. When you say you're a human Venn diagram, like unpack that for, for listeners for a second. What do you mean by that? Sure. So I came up with this phrase uh, over a decade ago when I was building my first company coming out of business school. And I had made a pretty big pivot. Before I went to business school, I'd worked at the Metropolitan Opera. I'd been a theater director. I'd been a musician and had made this really big change, deciding to go into business. And in particular, while I was at business school, discovering entrepreneurship. And so I was out there, you know, going to all these pitch events, trying to introduce myself in, you know, the 30 seconds that you've got someone's attention before they move to someone else. And I struggled because if if I told you all of the things that I was, the sort of the the reaction would be a little bit like, oh, she's a hot mess. Like she can't pick a thing to save her life. But if I don't tell you all of those things, then I just sort of blend in. I look like every other person. And in particular, it doesn't tell you why I am going to win, why I am the person to build this company, what I bring to the table. And so I really struggled with this, like, how do I, not just how do I see myself, but also how do I share myself? Uh, And finally, one night, I will admit it was after several glasses of wine, I just threw this line out there. I was like, I'm a human Venn diagram. And, you know, as a math major, I love set theory. Uh, Venn diagrams are my jam. And this investor goes, oh, you're multidisciplinary. Okay, tell me more. And I was like, interesting. Okay. So this idea resonates and it gives me permission to have a conversation, which is the goal of any, you know, intro line. So, so I started from this idea of a human Venn diagram that tells you from the beginning, I do multiple things, but I sit intentionally, strategically at the intersection of those things. This is not me just being a dilettante who can't, you know, commit to anything. This is I'm choosing to kind of straddle these multiple worlds. And in doing so, it positions me to actually be incredibly innovative because I can connect the dots between them. And so I I scoped out like, where are the, where do I play? What are the things that I bring to the table? And it was those, those three things, business, technology, and the arts. And I use those very broadly defined because, you know, lots of things can kind of fit in those circles. And as long as you understand that that's who I am and where I play. Now it's not all that confusing that I could have a fashion e-commerce company also build a program for girls in computer science at a natural history museum and also go be a professor of entrepreneurship at Harvard, right? Like that's not inconsistent with that identity. So that's where that idea first came from. And now enough people like it that uh, I'm hoping it'll it'll like catch on a little bit. Well, what what I like about it is again is it started with that that concept of simplification. Yeah, right. Like you said, you could have very easily overcomplicated who Christina Wallace was to the point of mm-hmm. when you're trying to make the pitch, people's heads just exploded with information. Mm-hmm. But you found a way 
whether it was intoxicated or not, found a way <laughs> to simplify it to a point where you said the same thing, mm -hmm. but you said it in a way that was very intriguing and it clicked, but you left them wanting more. And they started asking you the questions about, oh, tell me more about what that means. Mm -hmm. And so you, you got invited to share that information. They started actively listening because now they're asking you the questions mm -hmm. instead of them tuning out because you were fire hosing them the information, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what is that that quote from Pascal? I would have written a shorter letter, but I didn't have the time. Like, it's hard <laughs> to figure out how to communicate big, complicated, robust ideas in in small bites, right? That's hard. And, yeah. and so that ends up being part of the work for anyone who is multidisciplinary, who has a portfolio life. That's part of their the job of, of going down this path is you have to connect the dots in a way that other people can understand and start to scaffold who you are and what you bring to the table around that simplicity. Because if you just, you know, throw the whole kitchen sink at them, the most common reaction is going to be to like step back and walk away slowly, you know? <laughs> so it takes work, but it's incredibly powerful once you do, because then your people can repeat that to their people yeah. and they can go and represent you in the rooms that you're not in and they can look for the opportunities and make the connections that you aren't there for. And I think that is one of the most powerful things about this method because you have this multidisciplinary network, but only if they know how to help you. So you got to arm them with that language, with that positioning. Well, a hundred percent. And, and, and I don't want to beat the simplification horse too, too badly here, but I, I, I want to make this one, one more point here before we move on. Cause I think one of the other things, if we were able to go back and, and talk to those people, right. By, mm -hmm. by what you did, you, you, probably conveyed a strong mm -hmm. presence of confidence and authority because mm -hmm. I always go back to uh, uh, to Einstein mm -hmm. right and he said if, if you if you can't explain it simply you don't understand it well enough exactly right and and, mm -hmm. and that was what came across you explained yourself simply you understood who you were mm -hmm. and 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 that in and of itself is, inspiring because, you know, and I'm sure you probably do all these different entrepreneurial case studies, but, you know, my wife and I, we love watching Shark Tank. And, uh -huh. and <laughs> you know, one of the things that loses most investors an opportunity uh, in, in an area like Shark Tank is when they can't do what you did. Their, yeah. their concept, as great as it is, I've heard them say it a million times on the show. Mm -hmm. You know, it sounds like a great product, sounds like a great, great idea, but I don't understand what your business model is. And mm -hmm. for that reason, I'm out. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, th let that be a lesson, entrepreneurs. <laughs> Christina has has given you the idea, the Venn diagram. Venn diagram your, your you and your organization and your mm -hmm. business model and find where that is. And that's your simplification. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so let's get back to the uh, portfolio life and, and, mm -hmm. and this, this thing. So you, 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 came up with this Venn diagram for you mm -hmm. and then 
and then the portfolio life or did the portfolio life come first? How did how did the chicken and the egg happen there? It started with the Venn diagram. And I think that this is it has to start from there as I look you know, more and more back on the the origin of this idea, because it starts with this recognition that you are more than any specific job that you have. Right. It comes from this place of identity, first and foremost, recognizing who you are, what you bring to the table, what you what you step into the room and offer. You have to pull up from what is my current title on LinkedIn? How am I currently being compensated for my time? Because once you recognize that you are greater than your job, then you start to see all the options that you might have. You start to to understand the diversification that you might build strategically into your life. And you start to see the power of how much flexibility it can offer you because you can balance and rebalance that portfolio for whatever stage or chapter or season of life you're in. But it all has to start from a position of identity because the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves become the limiting factor for the the options we're even willing to consider. The choices that we can even see are available to us. They start with what do you believe is true about who you are and what you have to offer. So it started with the Venn diagram. I built out more of this idea. Uh, it, uh, the seeds were were planted at business school when I first studied portfolio theory in my finance classes. This was not something that I learned around the dinner table growing up. My family did not have money. And so I was like, portfolios, what? We have cash, right? Um, <laughs> and credit cards. And, uh, and so this idea that you would have a, a strategic allocation of assets designed to meet a certain risk and return profile for the stage of life you're in, and that you would then rebalance that allocation when that stage changes. I was like, this is brilliant and also applies to more than just financial assets. Like, why are we going all in on one job, one industry, one straight line path that seems incredibly risky in a world that is constantly facing disruption, that is constantly being turned upside down by things we can't see coming. Why would I go all in when I know diversification is more powerful? Why would I not be willing to take some risk, to place some bets that I'm not entirely sure are going to pan off, but if they do, they're going to pan off really big? Why am I not thinking about that piece, that strategy in all of these other elements of my life. And so I started kind of noodling on this idea, but but I didn't really have the framework for it for a couple more years as I was trying to basically make sense of my life, right? I, yeah. I joke a little bit that I wrote this book so that I can give myself permission to keep doing what I've been doing. <laughs> like I, I've given it a name, that name makes it acceptable, but there is some truth to that. Like I've always been doing this and I think a lot of people, including my mother, never quite understood it. And, and so giving it a framework, a name, it's part permission, it's part process that, that legitimizes this way of thinking about the world. Yeah, no, I, I mean, it, it's, I mean, that's, that's a great, that's a great backstory there. And, 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 and I think, I think that's the kind of the, the, the truth behind a lot of books like this is in some ways, 
uh, it, the author wrote them as a way to help themselves. And then mm-hmm. they realized, oh, wait, I'm not the only person. There are a lot of people who are struggling with the same thing that I am. Yeah. Maybe more people want to make this process easier than they realize there are, there are a yeah. lot of people that are struggling with this. And, you know, as we talked in the pre-show work up there, you know, I, I do a decent amount of work in, in the DNI space and this mm-hmm. idea of intersectionality is huge in that space, right? Because yes. nobody is just one person. You're not yeah. just male. You're not just female. You're not just African-American. You're not just white. You're not just, you know, Gen X or, or mm-hmm. whatever. You're some combination of all of these things. That's right. And every one of them is a unique combination, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I think, again, that is what is so interesting about this is, like you said, kind of giving people permission to explore that and be comfortable with not just being pigeonholed into one category. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause when people stop putting themselves in this one box, yeah, you know, I'm a white male, but I'm also this, 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 and this, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like more ideas become more acceptable than just getting pigeonholed. Yeah. And, and same thing with life and, and career choices, mm-hmm. right? Well, and I think particularly relevant to this and your work there, when you stop putting yourself in boxes, then you stop putting other people in boxes too, mm-hmm. right? You start recognizing if you can be more than one thing, then so can the people who work for you. And that, you you know, you can apply this in so many different dimensions. It, it's part of why you know, there's research now to to give evidence behind this, but it's like this notion that we could expect the people that we hire to only be their job. To not have any other thing that might, I don't know, detract from from their work. Like, that's not professional. You're like, that's just not reality. Like, I have two young children right now. They're one and three years old. They are constantly getting sick. And I need (laughs) so much flexibility in order to be the type of mother I need to be. To have the family that I care about having. And I still get my work done. I just have to have a lot of leeway about when and how I get it done. And and this applies in so many other dimensions too. But I think when we when we stop being like, oh, you have a side hustle. Oh, you have a hobby that you're really serious about. I wonder if that means you're not committed. You're not all in on this job. And you're like, of course they're not. Are you all in on one single stock in your retirement portfolio? Absolutely not. It doesn't mean it doesn't matter to them. It doesn't mean that this isn't something they care deeply about. So, so this freedom that comes when you recognize you are more than one thing and so is everyone else, that is this incredibly, I mean, I, I look at this model and I'm thinking, yeah, we're sort of, it came from a place of scarcity and volatility and scariness in the world that we're in, but it also comes from a place of incredible abundance and freedom that our parents and our grandparents did not have access to when it came to their careers. And I'm really grateful for that. Yeah, no, I, I, I like that. Because as you were saying that, it reminds me of something that I've heard uh, Gary Vaynerchuk say mm-hmm. a lot about uh, VaynerMedia. And, and people ask him, like, how do you get people to work as hard in your business as you do? And he says, I don't. And I don't expect them to because it's not their business. It's my business. They That's shouldn't right. be working as hard as me. That's right. right? <laughs> but but we've kind of, we, we've had this weird, and, and you talk about this a little bit in the book, if I remember right, about this kind of weird thing with capitalism in the yeah. last 100, 150 years where 
this idea kind of sank in that we should be pigeonholed into a yeah. 40, 50 year career, right? Yeah, I mean, what's fascinating about this, I start the book with this chapter on like a brief history of capitalism, because I think it's relevant to understand like what was true and why that is no longer true today. And as part of that, you also start to realize what a short period of our our long you know history of the world was represented by these ideas that we now think have always been true like this idea of a 40-year career this was not a thing until basically the industrial revolution when people started having to specialize in order to fit into a narrowly defined job in a factory or it was we get into like the service economy in the 50s and 60s and 70s we needed people to have one very specific specialty and they could reasonably rely on the world still looking like it did when they started at the point where they end their career. And that's why you can say, I'm going to pick this thing. I'm going to do it. And I'm going to retire at the end with a pension and a gold watch. And, you know, I'm going to have all these other great things as part of this lifelong fidelity to this company. And as capitalism changed in the 80s and 90s as we saw globalization we saw a lot more desire for flexible employment which means offloading full-time workers to be part-time to be permalancers and gig workers and all of these things we're seeing a dramatically different relationship between labor and companies and that's not necessarily a bad thing but it's unrealistic to expect labor to have the same fidelity, the same mindset around career building that they did in a previous life when they have none of the stability, they have none of the kind of uh, the, the relationship that they used to have with their employers. And so it's really kind of reframing both our expectations, this idea that maybe, you know, Reed Hoffman at LinkedIn talks about this, like tours of duty rather than lifelong employment and That's recognizing, great. right? Employers recognizing this when someone comes in to say, I know you're not going to be here forever. So I want you to be open and honest with me. What are you here to learn? How long do you think you want to be here? Like, what does that chapter look like for you? And let's design it from the beginning with that truth out in the open, rather than you feeling like you have to hide hey, this is for a season of my life and that I was always planning to move on, right? So so there's just, there's there's like a reckoning that we need to have around our relationship with work. And it starts with like forbidding the phrase work-life balance. I hate that phrase. Um, not only was it like invented in the 80s to try to make sense of letting, you know, mothers back into the workplace, like it, this is not an organic thing that grew out. This is, this is very much a top-down construction, but we now have like 30, 40 years of research that shows like it doesn't exist. And, right. and I hate that phrase because work is a subset of life. Right. It is not one side of a teeter-totter and life is on the other. And every hour you give to one has to be stolen from the other. Like that's not how this works. Work is a piece of your life, which is why I call this the portfolio life and not the portfolio career. Because as you design your allocation of your time, your energy, your network, your relationships, as you design, how do those pieces fit together for, for me, for this stage of my life? Your career is in the context of everything else. Mm -hmm. And it has to be. Yes. So, so 
throwing out this notion that life is what happens after you're done doing all of your emails, right? Like, no, think about it in a much more expansive way. And that gives you, I think, a ton of permission and flexibility to be really honest about what the role work plays for you. Yes. No, I, I love where this conversation is is headed and I, I and I love where we can take it from here. But I think before we do that, this would be a great spot to to go ahead and take our, our break, pay some bills and continue this conversation <laughs> on the other side. How does that sound? Perfect. All right, listeners, we're going to be back and we're going to continue this conversation here in just a few short minutes after we let these commercials play. So we'll see you just in a couple of minutes here. All right, listeners, welcome back. And uh, we're going to continue our conversation here uh, with Christina Wallace, author of The Portfolio Life. Um, you know, before the break here, we were talking about some really interesting topics here. And, and I like your idea of, of why work-life balance is, is not a great uh, term necessarily. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I agree with you. And I think this is one of the reckonings. Uh, I mean, you said so much there. And, and I, I'm trying to pick which one I want to get into first. So um, I'm going to make the first one is kind of like a statement. And if you want to build on it, please feel free. But it's like what you said about about looking at people in their careers and changing careers. Yes, I agree with you. That is something we really have to change how we look at it. Um, Because I know millennials used to get hit over the head with, you know, I think at one point in time, it was like they were changing careers like every uh, right around like every two years, every mm-hmm. two and a half years. And, you know, I was doing work on, on, uh, diversity and hiring. And it was one of the things I would hit on, on resumes mm-hmm. is you're going to see this and it's going to freak you out. But what you need to ask yourself is, is do you want somebody who's going to come into your organization and be there for two, two and a half, three years, and is going to make an impact and change your organization or do you want somebody that's going to come in and be here for 10, 15, 20 years and do nothing? Mm-hmm. Right. You, you need to make that decision. Yeah. That's up to you. But which one do you want to do? Yeah. And on that same note, something you just said there that I think is brilliant. And I think this is where a lot of organizations are having a hard time coming to grips with. And we're seeing this kind of schism in the workplace right now with return to the office mandates. Yeah. yeah. Is are we paying people for the number of hours they occupy a physical mm-hmm. space or are we paying people for what they accomplish? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and you, you got to make that decision as, as an organization, but if you're paying people for what they accomplish, then it doesn't matter where they accomplish it from. Yeah. Right. No, I mean, I think this is exactly, I mean, these are, these are the topics that are all kind of mashing up together as I think about, what I'm hoping will come out of this book, because I, you know, I was literally having this conversation at a um, at an organization um, that helps get more women into MBA programs, and and they're like, look, I think we've kind of figured it out, like how we get women into MBAs, but like we're still not seeing it move the needle in terms of women in the C-suite. Like mm-hmm. it's not a pipeline problem. There are women now, but like they're somehow not making it now up through leadership. And and they're kind of like, you know, how does the portfolio life kind of fit into our understanding of thinking about that problem? And I said, that's a great question because 
one of the challenges you're going to see, and I see this on the front line because I'm teaching younger millennials and elder Gen Z day in, day out. So I know what they're thinking about as they are building this, you know, ambitious life ahead of them is that they're, you know, you're going to see many more of these zigzags than you used to. When you're evaluating those resumes, when you're thinking through the like, is this the type of person that we put on the fast track to leadership? You are going to see more and more nonlinear paths. And that specifically is true for women who decide to have a family and they are the biological carriers of their children and they choose a chapter of their career, five, six, seven years, where they go sideways rather than up, mm-hmm. where they're choosing to optimize for flexibility and autonomy rather than power and achievement. And if you look at that sidestep as evidence that she doesn't have what it takes, and in the meantime, you see a male peer that started at the same place that she did, and he's gotten a lot further because he never took that sidestep. No wonder these women are eventually going to say, you know what, they're never going to pick me for senior leadership. Like, I'm just going to leave. I'm going to find something else to do with my time, right? We have to be accepting of these paths and these on-ramps and off-ramps that look different than leadership of a previous generation. And I tell you, this is particularly important because like Gen Z doesn't want the rat race. Mm Mm-hmm. For the most part, right? Like there's this real pushback during the pandemic. We all had a chance to sit still for a little bit too long (laughs) or more long, you know, longer than was comfortable. And I think we, many of us came to this realization of like, why on earth am I going to hustle, 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 work my butt off and be miserable so that someday I get to be happy? Right. What if, just throwing this out there, what if I want to be happy today? And not in that like hedonistic, like throw it all away and just be happy. But like, what if it's not unreasonable to say, I want to be happy more days than not. The process, the journey of my life, I want to enjoy it and not just hustle so that someday, because someday is not guaranteed. And I think all of us came face to face with that during the pandemic. And so there's a real reckoning generationally that we are going to see. And I I heard this from a consulting company, a top tier consulting company who is really struggling because their, uh, their entire model is sort of up or out, right? It's this pyramid model. All professional services have this, a few partners at the top, a huge base of analysts at the bottom. And it requires them to either promote or fire people every couple of years. And they're right. seeing this entire chapter of worker come in and say, you know, they get that first promotion and then they're like, I'm kind of happy right here. Like I'm good at my job. I like being a manager. I don't want to be a principal. I don't want to be a partner. I want to stay here because it gives me what I need. And I still have the free time to have a hobby. I have the free time to spend time with my friends or my family. This is enough for me and I don't want more. And they're like, our model breaks if you don't want more. And they're really struggling. So I think there's, there's, I mean, I say this in the book, like this is not the future of work. This is the present of work. We are facing this all. And in the middle of it all, you know, I locked the text into this book in November before anyone had ever heard the phrase chat GPT. And now, I mean, we're having like this whole other technological disruption layered on top of uh, all these other shifts. I just, I think 
whew, we are in for a few years ahead of us as all of these different forces kind of reckon with each other and what work means to the majority of people. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, as you were talking there, my, my, my Southern Baptist was kicking in. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm putting my hand in the air saying preach because <laughs> you're right. And, 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 you know, and again, this, this show is responsible leadership and leaders. I'm telling you, this is part of responsible leadership because, yeah. you know, the, the, the idea, the model that you talked about there about, you know, women having to be penalized because they choose to have children and, mm-hmm. and, and put the career on hold and they don't want to work 14 hour days. They don't want to miss games. They don't want to miss birthdays. They don't want to miss this. But the, yeah. the, the men that have, you know, look at the long term effects of those. You know, those men have divorces. Those yep. men have children who hate them. Those men have all of these issues, alcohol yes. issues, drug issues, that 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 thing that we've promoted as that drive has had yeah. these real psychological, emotional, physical mm-hmm. uh, tolls. And, and, and if you want to be a responsible leader, yeah, you don't want to promote a lifestyle that you know is going to have that effect. Yeah. You know? well, I mean, I, I love that you're hitting on this. I'm sure you see this from a D, DEI point of view that like, if you solve these problems for people who the world has not been designed for, what you realize is the other people want it too, right? Like uh, you, yeah. you allow women to have this zigzag path so they can be the type of mothers they want to be. And you're going to start to see a whole, and you don't penalize them for it. Right. And you're going to see a whole lot more men raise their hand and say, well, I want that too. I want to be that type of father. I want that flexibility. Like, are, are you saying this isn't the only path now? Great. Sign me up. And we're starting to see that. We're starting to see a lot more men take paternity leave Absolutely. alongside of their uh, their their spouses. Absolutely. You know, and 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 I say it that way because you know we have a lot more quote non traditional relationships now where sure. you know uh, LGBTQ couples are adopting and they're taking paternity leave for those situations as well. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so you're right. We're seeing that, and and, and it's a good thing. And 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 you need to be comfortable in your organization to embrace that. And and it's not the end all be all. Yeah. And and the other thing, and this is where I like to caution organizations too, with that up and out model, mm-hmm. you need to be extremely careful with who you're putting out. Yeah. Because how many organizations have put the wrong person out and they go start a new business and now you're out of business by the one that they started. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's always going to be the risk. You let the person go who says, you know what, I can do that. And I can do that better. I can do that cheaper. I can do that with a whole lot less, you know, uh, skeletons in the closet. So, so it's certainly, I mean, I, I just, I think all of those professional services servants between this and AI, like <laughs> I feel for them because they've got pressures from every dimension of like more people want to stay in the lower levels and they're going to need a whole lot fewer of them because, Computers are going to be able to do a lot of those jobs at the same time. It just, it leads to just this mass understanding of like a change, volatility, instability. It's going to feel really uncomfortable for a while for a lot of people, the majority of people. And that's where it comes back to identity and being sure that people feel that they exist separate from their paycheck, that they are still themselves on the day after they got laid off. Right. Or the day after they decided to change careers, like you're still you, you didn't lose who you are. You're just doing something different. And I, I think this is going to be really important from a mental health standpoint, from a, a sort of political stability standpoint, we're going to see a lot of change and 
to be thoughtful about how do we scaffold that change and support that change and still be open to that change. Let's not pretend that we can freeze time, um, but also really being helpful and encouraging people to reconnect with like, what are all the other parts of you beyond your job? And not only because that gives you joy and fulfillment, but also that might be the key to your next pivot. Well, absolutely. And, and you know, I don't know how much of, of the story you want to share here, but I know, you know, again, listeners, we're talking about the portfolio life. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you have a very key story in the portfolio <laughs> life that you share about a friend of yours on mm-hmm. Broadway. Yeah. So like I said, if you want, if you feel comfortable sharing sure. a little bit of the story, happy go, to go, go for it. Yeah. I mean, uh, her name is Carla Stickler and she's now like my poster child for diversification against like the unplanned disruptions. Carla, uh, we went to high school together um, at this performing arts boarding school. So I've known her since we were 15 and she spent the first 15 years of her career, 20 years of her career as a Broadway performer. She was an actress and a singer and a dancer. At one point, she was Alphaba in Wicked on Broadway. I'm like, she's the pinnacle of a career as an actress. And she was, she loved it. And she was reaching a point in her sort of mid to late 30s where she's like, you know what? I I don't know if this is what I want long term. Like, I, I have a partner. We want to have kids like eight shows a week is a grind, man. Like, I think I might want more. And there's also like this this agency piece that was missing for her. Right. As an actress, she only got to do things once someone else chose her. Once a director or casting agent picked her, then she got to make something. And she's like, what if I want to just choose myself? (laughs) What if I want to make something myself? And so she started. She's like, you know what? Let's just pick up a hobby. Let's. Let's see what else I'm interested in. So she started making pottery. She was she was sort of dabbling and exploring. And, and through that process, one of her colleagues mentioned coding. And she had never really thought about coding, computer science before. She hadn't really been a math person in her previous life. And no one ever tapped her on the shoulder and suggested she think about it. And then she's like, you know what? Fine, whatever. I'm going to... We going to learn how to code. So she goes to a boot camp at the Flatiron School and she's like working on these projects, you know, backstage at intermission, right? Between rehearsals, between performances. She's still a working actress. This was never intended to be her new career. And then COVID happened. And the most dangerous job you could have other than maybe being an ER doctor was to be a performing artist where you're spitting into someone's face four inches away and unmasked, right? In, in Like in the middle of a respiratory d- disease pandemic, right? Like exactly. all of Broadway shuts down. And they think they're shutting down for like four weeks, which is already like a big deal. And then as right. we all know, the story goes, they shut down for 18 months. And for many of these performers and stagehands and designers who work in this industry, their backup job between gigs had always been to be a bartender or a waiter in a restaurant where, you know, like tourists come through. So their backup jobs disappear too. And for many of them, they are unemployed for over a year. It becomes dire. But for Carla... She realized that she's like, well, I wasn't ready to leave performing entirely, but like, I now is the time, I guess. Like, it's on my doorstep. And she goes out and starts interviewing for tech jobs. She's like, I, I'm not a fascinating coder. I'm not a, a, an amazing coder, but like, I'm good at it and I want to do it. 
She gets a job. A tech company in Chicago hires her. Because not only can Carla code, she can talk to people. Which she doesn't realize is a competitive advantage among engineers. <laughs> and she ends up in this role that sort of spans the engineering and product team with the customer success and the sales team because she can speak both languages. And she makes this pivot. She has this new life. She ends up moving to Chicago with her husband. They set down roots. They start thinking about a family. And what I love about how this story ends, if we can call it that, she's still out and doing her thing today, but Broadway reopens the fall of 2021. And, you know, there's like a little pang of regret of like seeing it reopen and she's not there. And then a few months later, if you recall, in December, Omicron hits and Omicron takes everybody out. Like this is the super version of COVID. And all of a sudden, you know, spitting in someone else's face means like, Broadway performers are dropping like flies <laughs> and they go through Wicked. The cast of Wicked goes through the main actress for Alphaba. They go through the understudy. They go through the swings, which are like the cast members who know every single part. They go through all of these people. And now the producers start calling up people who used to be in the show because they're desperate. And one of these days, like the day after Christmas, Carla gets a call and they say, can you fly to New York? We need you to step in for Alphaba. And she's like, well, I, I am on a holiday break from my tech job. <laughs> so she flies to New York. She gets one rehearsal. They paint her green from head to toe. She's the Wicked Witch of the West and hook her up to a harness because part of this job is flying 40 feet in the air while belting the hardest songs on Broadway. And she, she goes on. She hasn't done this role, I think, in seven years at this point, but she goes on, she flawlessly performs this role. She gets off stage, washes off her makeup, flies back to Chicago and, you know, tells her her colleagues in the Slack channel like what she was up to this weekend. Right. <laughs> but I love this story because in that moment, you know, before that phone call, she really felt like, OK, I've I'm no longer a performer because that's not how I pay my mortgage anymore right now I am a tech person now I am an engineer and in that that moment that sort of battlefield promotion she saw that like she's still both it's an and not an or she's still both she is yeah. an actress a storyteller a performer she's just not making her living doing that right now it doesn't mean that she loses that as part of her identity it doesn't mean that that's not something she can't tap on again when she makes her next pivot right so i i just love this because it's this notion that like you can do and be so many things, but it starts with the permission you give yourself to even consider it. Yeah. No, I love that story. I mean, cause it's, it's just, I mean, a, what a cool life. I know. Right. Period, right. <laughs> I mean, just such a cool life period. Like I can't imagine like just in general, but B, you know, I was like, Hey, what did you do this week? Oh, you know, I flew to New York, was on Broadway. Like, wait, what? Yeah. Yeah, like what? what? And, and it's true because some of her colleagues, I mean, many of them knew about her previous life, but some of them didn't because, right. you know, she was trying to be taken seriously. She wanted the credibility of, you know, being an engineer. And so she wasn't, you know, going around flaunting this whole first life. And they're kind of like, wait, you did, you did what? Like you have been holding out at company karaoke night, you know? Like, 
you got to imagine some of those people have been trying to get those tickets for like years. Oh, for sure. You're just kind of like, oh, okay, that hookup is valuable to you? Okay, great. You yeah. know? <laughs> Relationship capital, check. <laughs> exactly. I love it. Well, uh, Christina, we've been chatting here for uh, almost, uh, well, a little over 40 minutes here. And this has been fantastic conversation. I think we probably got about four hours left in the (laughs) But uh, uh, I'm just kind of curious, as we work to close things out here, is there anything we didn't get a chance to cover uh, that you want to leave the audience with before we get out of here? Yeah, I think the only thing I would add to to everything we've covered so far is this notion that... You can build a portfolio life by yourself for sure, but you can also build it with a partner. My partner, my husband has his own portfolio and I will tell you it is infinitely harder than if we just both like picked one job and stuck with it. <laughs> but, and, but you know, two things can be true. My favorite learning from it being a parent, two things can be true. Mm-hmm. It is harder and it is so incredibly fulfilling and energizing to have a life partner who also sees the abundance that he can have and also is optimizing for more good days than bad. And so I just, I encourage you for anyone who's like, that sounds interesting, but like, how do you actually make that work? This sounds like a lot of work. I'm already exhausted. Like I hear you. This is not about hustle culture. This is really just a, 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 complete mindset shift about how you design your life, how you allocate your time and your energy and your network and your resources, and how you do that with the other people that make up your life, whether that's a family, a partner, what have you. So I just, I want to encourage you not to write this off because it sounds like a lot of work. It is. It is a lot of work and it's really worth it. I love that. I'm a, I'm a big fan of yes. And, and exactly. so, so yes, and, and yes, and <laughs> y'all need to grab a copy of The Portfolio Life. It is a great, uh, great book, great resource, great concept. Um, and, you know, on that note, so people can grab a copy, they can mm-hmm. find out more about you, find out more about what you do, maybe have you come speak to their organization, uh, work with them. What is a great place for them to find out more about you? Yeah. Uh, head to PortfolioLife.com. Nice and simple. You can send me a note. It goes straight to my Gmail. Um, you can see more about the things that I talk about and write about. Certainly, I've got links to all of your favorite retailers that you can buy your book from. Or quite frankly, you can go to your library and ask them to stock it. Um, and then just you want to stay in touch with me or see what else I'm working on, follow me on LinkedIn. Uh, I, I find it so fascinating out of all the social networks. It feels like the nerds have won. Like LinkedIn is the place to be these days. So um, come hang out with yeah. me there. Yeah, you, you are. You are right there. It's 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 the same place. Hang out. You're, you're going to get a lot of spam there. I, I could- <laughs> I, my, my inbox is always full of people wanting to promote my podcast, but uh, other than that, yeah, it, it is, it's, it's a pretty stable platform, but yeah. Uh, and, and listeners as always, we're going to get the, the links put in the show notes. So you can just click on that and it'll take you straight to the website. Um, and again, I highly encourage you to grab a copy of the book and, and take some of these principles uh, to heart. It, it's, it's a great way to look at life. It's a great way to put your life kind of, uh, uh, in order and start really kind of thinking and visualizing how you live your life. Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as Christina did a great job of, of talking about today, you know, 
it's not something you actively have to do. You are already more than one thing. You're just not mm-hmm. necessarily realizing that you're already more than one thing. That's right. And and this helps you do that. So, uh, Christina, I just want to say thank you very much for, for doing what you're doing, uh, putting this type of material out there, helping people understand it. And thank you for just being an outstanding guest on this episode of the Responsible Leadership Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a really fun conversation. Well, all right, folks, there you have it. Another great show about responsible leadership. I really appreciate you listening. And if you have any feedback for me, please reach out at earl at leadershipphalanx.com. That's E-A-R-L at leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X.com. Thank you for rating, reviewing, subscribing, and sharing the show so these messages can spread further and make a bigger impact. With that, I look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode. Welcome to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing, where we harmonize your mind, body, and soul. I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound. Together we explore vibrations, frequencies, and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress, and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing today. Electric acid.